Welcome to the Heritage Online Podcast. This is our weekly deep dive into the scriptures, the church, Methodism, faith, and following Jesus Christ. This week's podcast is taken from our longest night service, held on December 21st, the longest night of the year. It's a service of healing and hope, and this is Matt Haran's message from that service. Enjoy. Now, here we are getting ready for Christmas, right? And everyone is uh, singing songs, and it's merry and bright, and there are uh, all kinds of fun and festive things that are supposed to be happening at Christmas time. But some of us approach the Christmas season wondering if it might have more of a parasitic effect on us than an encouraging one. As you approach this Christmas, you may have said to yourself, this may actually kill me. And, you know, I, I, I highlight these, these plants, these flowers, to say that just because it looks nice doesn't mean it's entirely good for you. And Christmas time can look nice to most people, lots of people, but it also can be really, really difficult. And so every year, it's super important to me that the church offer the longest night service. Even if we're in a pandemic and we have more viewers at home than we do in person, which has been the case for the last several weeks on Sundays, but it is important for us as a church to provide the opportunity for us to walk in to a sacred space, a place that we have encountered God over and over again, knowing that it's okay to go to a place and encounter the Lord and tell him, I'm not doing really well. I'm not feeling as joyful as everyone says that I should about the baby Jesus arriving on Christmas. Perhaps you have lost someone. People all over the country are losing people. And perhaps that has touched you as well. Perhaps because of the pandemic, perhaps because of something else. Perhaps you've lost more than one person. Perhaps you've lost a relationship, a job, something that made you feel safe and secure, and now has left you feeling nervous, anxious, or afraid. Well, I want to read a passage to you. This comes from John chapter 9, starting in verse 1. As he went along, Jesus saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. But this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can do work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. After saying this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. 
So the man went and washed, and he came home seeing. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, Isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that it was. Others said, No, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. How then were your eyes opened, they asked. He replied, The man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed, and then I could see. Where is this man, they asked him. I don't know, he said. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. Now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. Therefore the Pharisees also asked him, How he had received his sight. He put mud in my eyes, the man replied, and I washed, and now I see. Some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others asked, How could a sinner perform such signs? So they were divided. Then they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. The man replied, he's a prophet. They still did not believe that he had been been blind and had received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. Is this your son, they asked? Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it now that he can see? We know he's our son, the parents answered, and we know he was born blind. But how he can see now or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him. He is of age. He will speak for himself. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who already had decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue. That is why his parents said, He is of age. Ask him. A second time, they summoned the man who had been blind. Give glory to God by telling the truth, they said. We know this man is a sinner. He replied, Whether he is a sinner or not, I don't know. But one thing I do know, once I was blind, but now I can see. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. This story jumps out at me because the people in it do something that we often do. The first thing they ask when this guy is... Uh, is spotted. They ask, why is he blind? Why did this happen to him? Did he sin? Did his parents sin? Why would this happen? Why is he blind? Why has he been blind from, from birth? Why did this happen? And there can be times, right, when we experience tragedy, loss, Suffering. We ask the same thing, don't we? God, why? Why is this happening? Why did this happen? Why did that happen? Why is this going on? I've been asked plenty of times this year, why would God send a pandemic? Because we say things sometimes to make ourselves feel better. Like, well, everything happens for a reason. 
where God's in control, God must have a plan. This is one of those times that I love being United Methodist because we don't believe that. We don't believe that God causes tragedy in order to cause something better to happen down the road. We don't believe God needs to do that. We do believe that God gives us free will. And as a result of giving us free will, inviting us to love him as a choice that we have to make, he has to have his hands off in some ways. I'm not entirely sure how God decides when it's okay to intervene and when it's not. But he has chosen to create us with the option to love him in return and the option to not. And therefore, by the very definition of love, he cannot control everything. So we do not ever teach in the Methodist church that God is in control of everything. And all things that happen are a part of God's infinite plan. What we do teach, what we know, is that through tragedy, God is constantly inviting us closer to him. Through hard times, he's inviting us to walk closer to him. Through easy times, he's inviting us to walk closer to him. At all times, by the grace of God, the infinite grace of God, he invites us Despite all of our warts, all of our brokenness and sin, he is constantly inviting us to become closer to him. And what we believe is that in all those tragic things that happen to us, in all those things that we face, all those things that we go through, as we walk closer to the Lord in the midst of those things, we believe that in all things God works for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And so while God doesn't have to cause these bad things to happen, he can bring something good out of any of them. My first appointment as an associate, or my first appointment was as an associate, and we, uh, we had a, a choir director on our staff who had a, a, a young son, uh, our young adult son. He was in his early 20s. And... Uh, he just got married, his wife was pregnant, and he got this aggressive form of cancer. And we were praying for him, constantly, for him to be healed. But he just got worse and worse and worse. And before even getting to meet his baby, he instead went home to meet Jesus. And while we all knew that, and we knew that his suffering was over, it was hard because we had prayed so hard for this person to be healed. We'd asked over and over and over again. And we, surely we believed that God wanted him to meet his baby and to be healed and to have the long life he should have with his family. And so before the choir had their next practice, um, uh, I was asked to go and, and meet with them and talk with them and pray with them for, for a, a few minutes before the uh, practice began. And so they began to share their, uh, you know, their feelings about how disappointed they were, how crushed they were that, that he died. Um, talked about how they'd been praying, how much they loved uh, Penny, the choir director. Um, and so finally the sharing stopped. And so I went to lead us in prayer 
And I, don't, I hadn't been there very long. So, you know, I bowed with them in prayer and waited for the right thing to say to come to me. Because I've been to seminary. I've been through the ordination process, right? I've, I was officially a pastor bestowed with the right thing to say at the right time at all times, right? That's what I, that's what I thought I was going to seminary for, right? Is that I would always know what to say in the moment. And so there I, I stand with these people waiting. And if you know me, you know that I'm okay with a moment of uncomfortable silence. Sometimes I like to say something in a sermon, let it echo off the walls for a sec. You know, I'm okay with a moment of silence. Uh, this silence got a little longer as I waited for the right words to come. And so I stood there waiting for them to come and Everyone else, like I felt, began to notice this is a longer pause than one of Matt's usual pauses. So I just looked down and I said, well, Lord, this really sucks. And everyone laughed. I, I, I kind of blurted out, finally, I needed something to say. And so that squirted out of me. And, and I, I then waited for like a gasp of horror from the choir. And they all laughed. And there was sort of like this... This like relieves like like this sigh of relief from everyone. Uh, for the next week, people began coming up to me, thanking me for my prayer. Uh, people told the senior pastor how meaningful my time of prayer was with them. It started off that way, and you know, honestly, I wasn't really sure that you're allowed to pray that, even though I'd been to the seminary and I, 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 we hadn't covered that, right? So, but the fruit of it showed me, I guess that was okay. I guess it's okay to stand there with the church choir and say, well, Lord, this really sucks. And so I tell that story only on the longest night ser- at the longest night service. Um, I don't push my luck and tell the other services that we do, but I save that for this one because sometimes we need permission to go ahead and say, you know what? Here I am in church. Here I am... The choir was there, the Lord was there, and the thing that I found out everyone needed to hear was that it's okay to say, you know what, Lord, this really sucks. And I was okay. And so, so what, you, uh, what you see in this passage is uh, Jesus doesn't give them an explanation of what God was thinking when he made this person blind. It kind of sounds that way a little bit. What Jesus is saying is that we're going to give this, we're going to give whatever caused him to be blind, we're going to give this purpose after the fact. He was not blind because someone sinned and someone's being punished. He's just blind. And that's a rotten deal. But we're still going to give it purpose after the fact. The purpose this will serve is in our hands. What will we do with this now that this has happened to give it purpose? See, when tragedy strikes, especially when when we have a a loss of someone that's really close to us, when someone dies close to us, when someone dies suddenly that's close to us, People get, will gather around you, bring you some casseroles. They'll check on you, 
call you, text you, go to a funeral with you, maybe check on you a little while later. And there's only these things to do, right? When someone dies, there's things for you to do, plan some, plan some events, you go through their stuff, you might have to do some legal will things. You know, there's plenty of things to keep you busy. But eventually, everyone, they, everyone loves you and wants you to get back to normal. And they'll say, well, how can I, can I help you? Can, can we, what can we do? Can we help you? And what they're saying is they love you and care about you and want you to be okay and want you to go back to how you felt before. And the, the problem with that is you're never going to be the way you were before. This person was supposed to be here, and now they're not, and now things are different. And going, getting back to how you used to be, well, you can't have that anymore. And so the rest of the world moves on. Or when you first have something else terrible happen to you, you lose a job, a relationship, everyone's sorry for you in the moment, and, they, and they, they're you know, looking to help you however they can in the moment. And, and please hear from them that they care about you and love you. Even if they tell you, look, everything happens for a reason, just interpret that as they love you and want you to feel better. It's not really helpful for someone to say that to someone who just lost, lost someone or has some kind of tragedy they're going through. But, but all of a sudden, like, the world moves on and you're stuck with it. Whatever, whatever that loss is, whatever that thing is that has kept you from the joy that you hoped to be feeling. The, uh, the people that... Uh, they're trying to get to the bottom of this healing. Eventually, the Pharisees get stuck on this one thing, right? Like, can you believe that this guy who used to be blind and now is healed was done on the Sabbath? It's a great example of missing the point. Jesus is showing them that this terrible thing can be given new purpose by how we handle it after the fact. But that does not mean we have to go back and hyper-analyze, why did it happen this way? Why is this happening to me? What God is doing is he is inviting you towards him as you walk through it. And as we walk towards him through it, we will have the ability to give that purpose after the fact. In the moment when those losses first hit us, it could be haunting. When someone dies, especially someone suddenly, or we have this great loss, or this great sort of seismic life change, it can haunt us, right? It can stick in your head, and it can come to mind at times you don't want it to. It can, it can invade your, your thought process when you're doing something else. It can hop around in your head when you're trying to sleep, The journey that we need to go on is to take this loss, whether it be a person, a relationship, a job, some situation that, that you've, you used to like and now you've lost, and to move that from being this haunting, in-your-face experience to get to a place where someday you can put it on a shelf 
and store that. Store what you remember from it. Store what you learned from it. And you can put it on a shelf and give it a, it's, give it a proper place of, of memory. You want to memorialize that person or that thing, that experience. So that whenever you need to, you can take it down off the shelf. And you can talk about it, remember it, remember the lessons from it, share that experience with someone else and help them if they go through something similar. And then you put it back. And that's the journey that God invites us to go on. And sometimes it's easier. Sometimes it's not. Sometimes you might, in the middle of trying to memorialize that loss, another loss happens. And the two get jumbled together. Maybe, maybe it's, a, it's a, a loss of multiple things at once. Maybe there was a death and a job loss and, you know, it's just a rotten season of lots of stuff. But God continues to desire for us, continues to want us to walk through a healing journey to where we go from being haunted by this and it's all we can think about to when eventually we can give it its proper place in our memory, a place of honor if that's what the, the person, if that's what the loss requires, or maybe storage in a closet somewhere if it's a, another kind of loss that, that was hard. That's the journey that God wants us to go on. And if we find ourselves not getting there, if you find yourself weeks, months, years, and you are not able to put that memory on a shelf and come back to it when you need to, God still wants you to have that. He's still inviting you towards that. That just means you need to ask someone for some help with it. It is the, one of the greatest privileges that we have as a church staff, as church leaders, is when someone comes to us with some kind of struggle or some kind of loss and, and lets us walk with you through that. You know, Jesus Christ came to be God with us, Emmanuel. He came to be one of us to walk with us. So someone lets us be like Jesus the most when they let us step into their life and walk with them through something. Or maybe you've been through a tough experience that now you have been able to put it on your shelf and you can take that thing down and help someone else walk through it. That's, that's the church at its best. When we, like Jesus, stepped into our lives, we step into the lives of others to walk with them. And if it would be helpful for, uh, for someone to step into your life and walk with you through a challenging season, we'd be glad to do so. And I hope that you would, you would ask us. We have the longest night service because it is an important part of being a church. It's to make sure that we're not leaving someone just to suffer off by themselves, not noticed by the rest of us. And sometimes we, we do miss, we do miss things. Usually the reason that we find out someone's in the hospital is because of the, the reconnaissance that someone else in the church does to send us the, the information. It's a way that we look out for each other. The reason we take attendance on Sunday morning is so that if someone's gone for a while, we can check on them, make sure they're okay. What Jesus says to us at Christmas is that you are not alone. 
And that God is a God who steps in to your life to be with you. He wants to be with you. He wants to be close to you. He doesn't want you to be slowed down by having to carry this enormous loss around with you everywhere you go. He wants to help you walk through the process where you can store it for the next time you need it. And even though the rest of the people around you seem to be having a Merry Christmas and you're not, God knows. And he is with you. You, don't, you do not walk through this alone. Sometimes, however, God challenges us. Sometimes he has to challenge us to take the steps that we don't want to take. We would rather have him sort of zap us from on high and just fix it and heal it and make it better. But somehow in his infinite wisdom, he knows that the best way for us to be healed is to, uh, is to walk through those struggles and those challenges together with someone else. He designed us to not walk alone, but to walk in community. So if there is something on your soul that is just burdening you and weighing you down and keeping you from, uh, from continuing that journey closer to Jesus through the tragedies that you have faced, through the challenges that you have faced, Know that God has not planned for you to do it alone. And he would love to see you have the courage to tell someone, I need help with this. This is not getting better as fast as I think it should have. Please help me. I do, uh, I do remember uh, years after, uh, after Penny's son died, um, it was hard. It was hard for, for Penny. It was hard for the choir every year. They remember on that day that he passed away. And, you know, those milestones will always come. Those anniversaries will always come. Um, those first day without this will come. First holidays, first trips, all those things will, um, will come over and over and over again. But we do this service on this night. And we've been doing this service as Christians for generations in some form or another. But we do this service on the longest, darkest night of the year because we were reminded on the longest, darkest night of the year that tomorrow the night is a little bit shorter. And every day from here, the nights get a little bit shorter until eventually the daylight overcomes the night. And so, yes, it is a long, long night tonight. And the nights to come are long too. But go from this place aware that God intends to bring light into your journey. Be reminded that tomorrow the night will be a little bit shorter.